Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. We're starting our Easter series this morning. Before we do that, let me just ask you, if you read novels, or if you watch movies, or TV series, or even cartoons, you'll have come across the idea of every man. You may not have known it, you may not have recognized him, but every man is, well, everywhere. And every man is a type more than just an individual. And every man is a character who represents every one of us. He may be part of the storyline, he may be a narrator, but he's someone we can identify with, someone what we, the reader, or we, the audience, can relate to. Yeah, he's a bit like me. We stand in his shoes, if you like, as we watch the movie or as we read the book. Now, I'll show you what I mean. Let's see some characters who have been understood to be everyman types, who represent you and me, maybe. Here we are. Here's a few of them. There's Charlie Brown, good old Charlie Brown. He's always struggling a bit through life. He's never the hero. He's a good guy, but it's all a bit hard work. And underneath him there, that's Winston Smith in 1984, George Orwell's novel. Now, Winston Smith, even the name Smith, you see, he's an everyman. But uh, he's, he's just the ordinary guy caught up in, in this, this awful situation. And then on the right, you've got uh, Harry Potter, of course, who's the hero, the special guy. But that's Ron Weasley next to him. And Ron's the everyman. He's the ordinary guy. He's the supporting cast. He's not the big star. And similarly underneath, there's, of course, Sherlock Holmes, Benedict Cumberbatch. But then there's good old faithful Dr. Watson. Or if you prefer Poirot, there's Hastings. He's a sidekick who struggles to work it out in the way that the great hero does. But he's there, faithful, plodding along. These are everyman characters. We see the world through their eyes. Or if you prefer an every woman, how about this? They're harder to find, actually, every woman characters, but Bridget Jones is most certainly one. I mean, hasn't every girl eaten a tub of Ben and Jerry's wrapped in a duvet? But the point isn't what they do or where they are or what the plot is. The point is that even if you don't eat Ben and Jerry's wrapped in your duvet, you can relate to how they think and feel, the sort of things that happen to them, their hopes and fears and embarrassments and best intentions. See, and every man isn't a hero. We can't all aspire to be a hero. Now, every man is the ordinary guy beside the hero. They're not special. They're just well-meaning, regular guys doing their best, struggling to make it through. And when you say, hey, that's just like me, Oh, I've been there. I know how that feels. There you are. That's an everyman. And we start our Easter series today. We're going to look at an everyman this morning. He's in the Bible. He hung out with Jesus. His name is Peter. And we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 26. If you want to have it open in front of you, we'll be moving around a bit through that chapter. But just before we have a reading, let me set the scene. Because we joined Peter the evening before what we would call Good Friday. Jesus has told his disciples two days earlier that he will be crucified very soon at the time of the Passover. And they've just had the Last Supper, the Passover meal together. And then they sing a hymn and they go out to the Mount of Olives. And then this is the conversation that takes place just before they go to Gethsemane. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now I want to ask you three everyman questions this morning based on Peter. Because I think Peter's story is one we can all relate to. We've been there, it could have been me. And here's the first question I want to ask. I wonder what great things have you boasted? What great promises have you made? What assurances have you given in utter conviction, total confidence? Not a hint of a doubt. And then you've fallen flat on your face. You haven't followed through. Have you ever been there? On a trivial level, maybe. Oh, please, can I have a hamster? I'll play with him every night. I'll clean his cage out myself. Honest, I will. You won't have to do it. Oh, please. I'm just taking this evening off because I'm tired. But then I'm going to work really hard all next week to make up for it. It'll definitely be ready on Thursday. No problem at all. Or more seriously, maybe. I'm really sorry. I'll never do it again. I promise. I'll be faithful to you to the end, to love and to cherish till death us do part. That's about as big as it gets. Now, we hate it when we're on the receiving end, don't we, when the promise falls flat. I worked with an Irish guy once who had the gift of the gab. He'd promise you the earth. John, have you done that piece of work yet? Don't you worry, Julian. I'm just about to start. I'm not going to leave my desk. I won't do anything else. I'm going to work all weekend. I'll stay up all night if I have to. It'll be on your desk first thing Monday morning. No problem at all. Don't you worry. Monday morning, nothing. Ah, oh, well, let's see. I'll tell you what happened. Let me just tell you how. But you see, I think we're all the same. I remember when my dad came out of hospital a few years ago. There was an occupational therapist who'd been so helpful. And I was so grateful. And I promised I'd write a reference for her because that's something she said would be useful. And I really meant to. But the weeks went by, and to my shame, I never did. And that's bad. But here's Peter. Here's our everyman in the passage we just heard read. This very night, Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me. Oh, no, says Peter, not me. Even if all the others fall away because of you, I never will. And it's like that in the text, it's a great big I. Oh, yes, you will, Jesus replies. This very night, he repeats. It's very specific. It's not maybe sometime down the road. This very night, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And listen to Peter's reply to that. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He insisted emphatically, it says in Mark's account. In other words, he said it as firmly and as definitely as he possibly could. And in Luke's account, he says, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Wow. Great words, Peter. That's wonderful commitment. But we know what happened, don't we? Of course, Jesus was right, not Peter. It happened just as Jesus said. We'll look at it in just a minute. But here's the thing, it really, really struck me when I read this passage, I'd never noticed it before. Peter says those words, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then the text says, verse 35, 
And all the other disciples said the same thing. You see, it wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just big talking Peter. Speak before you think Peter. Shoot your mouth off as usual, Peter. It wasn't just him saying it. No, no, all the other disciples said the same. So I think to myself, wow, gosh, if I'd been there, maybe I'd have said the same thing too. The same big promise. Maybe there's other situations I've been in where I have said the same. Oh, Lord, I'll do this for you. I'll do that. I won't let you down. And then if we skip down the text, a few verses, to verse 40, we see Jesus praying in Gethsemane in anguish while Peter and the others sleep instead of keeping awake with him as he's asked them to. And then the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. There's a brief scuffle. And then the text says, all the disciples deserted him and fled. All of them. So they all said the same as Peter, I'll never disown you, I'd rather die with you. And then they all run off at the first sign of trouble. And if I'm honest, I have to think, yes, I probably have done just the same. We'll come back to this, let's move on. Jesus is arrested. He's taken at night before the high priest and the whole religious council, the Sanhedrin. And they try to question him, but Jesus doesn't answer. And they look for evidence against him, but there just isn't any. And finally, the high priest asks him, under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. I am, he replies, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. A direct quote from Daniel 7, as we saw two weeks ago, when Daniel sees a vision of the Son of Man, receiving authority, glory, and power. All the peoples of earth worship him. His kingdom will never be destroyed That's me, Jesus says. Blasphemy, they cry. Put him to death. They spit in his face. They punch him and they mock him. But Peter, although he ran off, he hasn't disappeared completely. He's followed at a distance, Matthew says in verse 58, as they took Jesus to the Sanhedrin. And now he's waiting outside in the courtyard to see what the outcome will be. And a servant girl comes up to him and says, You were with Jesus. Then another girl says the same. And then some others come up and say, yes, you're one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. It's a giveaway. And now comes Peter's moment of truth. Yes, he's run off with the others, but he's come back. He hasn't completely blown it yet. He's still in the frame. Until these accusations come and his fear and his sense of self-preservation take over and loyalty to Jesus goes out the window. Because when that first girl speaks, he denies it before them all, the text says. Verse 70, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he walks a bit further away for safety, no doubt. And the second girl also points a finger at him this time. Verse 72, he goes up a gear. He denies it with an oath. I don't know the man. And then a bit later, when the others realize he's a Galilean and they come up to him, Perhaps they crowd round him. Perhaps it's getting a bit threatening now. Peter's reaction, verse 74, it's now full throttle. Perhaps he's beginning to panic. He calls down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. As strongly as he possibly could, he denies even having known Jesus. And then, immediately, verse 74, that awful moment, the cock crows. Peter remembers He remembers how confidently, boastfully even, that very same evening, he declared his own to-the-death devotion to Jesus. 
See, the contrast between his words just a few hours ago and his actions now could not have been greater. He remembers what Jesus had said to him in reply. Peter, this very night, before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. And he rushes out and weeps bitterly. Or as Mark says, he broke down and wept. Quite probably this is the worst moment of his life. So here's my second everyman question. When have you felt most ashamed of your own failure? When have you broken your solemn promises? When have you let someone you love down very badly? When have you kept silent out of cowardice when you knew you should have spoken up? When have you lied because you were scared to get out of trouble? When have you given in yet again to the same temptations, the lure of your addiction? I don't know what it might be for you. I'm sure for you it won't be the same as it was for Peter, nor the same as it's been for me. But I guess most of us can pretty readily identify with our everyman here. We've been there. We know what it's like when we have failed utterly, when we've let ourselves down. And worse, hurt someone else we love. And perhaps like Peter, we have wept bitterly. Where do we go with that? How do we bounce back? Perhaps you haven't. Perhaps you still carry it around with you, that failure, that shame. Like a wound to the soul deep inside that no one else can see, but you're constantly aware of. Where did Peter go with that? How did our everyman bounce back? Because he did. Well, to find out, we have to leave Matthew's gospel. We go instead to the gospel of John, chapter 21. Maybe a week or so later, a big week, Jesus has been crucified. He's dead. He's been buried in the tomb. Then two days later, Mary comes running to find Peter and John and tells them the tomb where they placed his body is empty. What's happened? Someone's taken the body. And Peter and John run to the tomb. It's empty, just as Mary said, except the grave clothes the body was wrapped in. They're still there. This makes no sense. Who would unwrap the body and take it away? And then Jesus appears, alive, back from the dead. First to Mary, then to the disciples in a locked room. Peace, he says to them. And then a little while later, Peter and some of the others are out fishing. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. Early morning now, there's a man on the shore. He calls out to them, try the right-hand side of the boat. Suddenly the nets are just bursting with fish. And they realize it's Jesus on the shore. And they get ashore. And there's a fire going. They find he's cooked them a barbecue for breakfast. They're stunned. And they eat. Then Jesus says to Peter, come on, Peter, let's go for a walk along the beach. Uh-oh, if you're Peter, a one-to-one -one with the man you've abandoned to die. Here's how the conversation went. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. See, Peter had denied Jesus three times. The third time most strongly of all. Now three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter replies each time, you know I do. And the third time, most strongly of all. He's hurt, the text says, because Jesus asked him a third time. And we feel that hurt in his answer. Please believe me, Jesus. You know everything, Lord. You surely must know that I love you. Now, Jesus could reply to that. He could say, yes, you say that. But Peter, it's not words that count, it's actions. You let me down. You chickened out. When the heat was on, you folded. Just last week, you swore you didn't even know me. So how can you say now that you love me? Jesus could say the same to you and to me. You say you love me, but look what you did. The same thing you swore you'd never do again. You did it. You said I came first in your life. But that moment when you suddenly had to make a choice, you ignored me deliberately and went the other way instead. You call me Lord and sing that you love me. But you kept pretty quiet last week when all your mates were having a laugh about religion and all the uptight church hypocrites. You were ashamed of me then. But Jesus didn't say any of that to Peter. He said two things. First, he said to him, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. The same thing, three different ways. You love me, Peter? Great. I always knew you did. Welcome back. Now I've got a job for you. Yes, Peter, I've got a job for you. Be a shepherd to my sheep, to the people I love. I want you to look after them. And secondly, he said to him, follow me. No rebuke, no criticism, no rubbing his nose in it. No, well, you let me down very badly, but I'm going to give you another chance. No, 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 none of that. Just forgiveness, acceptance, restoration and a simple call follow me all the way to death actually but you don't know that yet Peter that's not for now just follow me and you see this is the real reason why Peter is our everyman why he stands for you and for me why his story can be our story it's not just because we too make great claims and great promises about the wonderful things we're going to do and then fall flat in our faces it's not just because we too have failed horribly and felt so ashamed and so guilty and rightly so about our failure, whatever it might be. But it's because when we come to Jesus, we too can find forgiveness, acceptance, restoration and a command to serve and a call to follow him all the way. And this is what I really want to say this morning. Your place of failure your place of brokenness and shame, it does not disqualify you from following Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not good enough. Quite the opposite. It means now you're ready. When you're broken, then you're finally at the starting point. What do I mean? Well, 
Jesus didn't want Peter's strength. He didn't want his big talk, I'll do this, I'll never do that, his extravagant promises that Jesus knew weren't worth anything. He didn't want his strength when he was the only one who did try to step in when the guards came to arrest Jesus at Gethsemane. You see, Matthew tells us, one of Jesus' companions drew a sword and lashed out at a servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. Well, John tells us that was Peter. No more of that, Jesus said. Swords away. And then he healed the man's ear. He knew exactly what Peter's strength was worth when he was the only one who did have the guts at least to follow on behind after they'd arrested Jesus. But two servant girls pointing fingers, a few hostile questions from the crowd, and Peter's strength evaporated in a puff. You see, Peter's best was no good for Jesus. But his worst was. There's a moment in Luke's account that we don't find in Matthew. Just after Peter has denied Jesus for the third time, as the cock crowed, Luke says, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. You will disown me three times. What an unimaginably awful moment. That look, it must have cut Peter to the core. No wonder he went outside and wept bitterly. There could be no lower point. His weakness, his uselessness, fully exposed. But scripture says, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And I think that look, that look that cut Peter to the heart, I think that was the kindness of Jesus to him. There you are, Peter, that look said. That's how much your own efforts and your own strength are worth. And that look that tears Peter apart, it also brings him to a realization of his own emptiness, his brokenness, his own inadequacy, his own failure. It brings him to the end of his own self-confidence and self-reliance. And it brings him to a barbecue on the beach where he's a different man. He's a humbled man, an ashamed man, and a man who is ready for Jesus. Jesus didn't want his strength, he wanted his weakness. Blessed are those who know their need of God. That's the poor in spirit, not those who think they're okay, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's for sinners only. You remember King David in the Old Testament? After he'd come crashing down from a great height, he'd been publicly exposed and shamed for his adultery and for what was effectively murder. David prayed this in Psalm 51. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, that's Peter on the beach. He's broken. He's contrite. And Jesus doesn't despise him. He doesn't turn him away. Instead, he says, now you're ready, Peter. Your best wasn't good enough for me, but your worst is. Now I can use you. I've got work for you to do. Come on, Peter. Come and follow me. Now, Peter has been here once before, right at the beginning, when he first met Jesus, maybe on the same beach. Interestingly, that time too was when Jesus told him where to put his nets down, and he had an astonishing catch of fish. And his reaction that time to that miracle was to fall on his knees before Jesus. Go away from me, Lord, he said, for I am a sinful man. But Jesus didn't go away. Come, follow me, he said. And I'll make you a fisherman of people instead. 
Same words. Follow me. And Peter is our everyman. Peter is you and Peter is me because of this. When we think we're somebody, when we think we're strong, when we think what a good job we can do, when we place any confidence at all in our own worth, in our own adequacy, when we think we are good enough for God, that's when, like Peter, we are failures. We have nothing to offer him and he can do nothing with us. But when we realize we have nothing to bring him except guilt and shame and failure and a broken and contrite heart, then that's the point at which he says to us, as he did to Peter, great, you're ready. Come follow me. I've got work for you to do. I can use you. That's the place where we find forgiveness, acceptance, restoration. And that is the starting point for discipleship. I know, says Paul the Apostle in Romans 7, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. That's probably the greatest Christian of all time speaking. I know nothing good lives in me. And if you're a Christian, you know that's true. You'll be constantly aware of your own sinfulness. And it should be exactly that that keeps us totally reliant on the mercy of Jesus. Like Peter, we can say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Those could be my words right now, today. Because I know very well how much scum there still is in my heart that nobody else sees except Jesus. But like Peter, we also say, Lord, you know that I love you. And those are my words too. Because the two nestle side by side, don't they? In each of our lives. I mess up. I make mistakes. I choose to sin. Let's not beat around the bush. Through negligence, through weakness, through my own deliberate fault, as the prayer book has it. And yet it's also true. I say with all the strength of my heart, Lord, you are wonderful beyond words. And in my own poor way, truly, I love you. I honestly really do. That's us, you see, sinners, saved by the mercy of a saviour who died in our place for each one of us, whose name is Jesus. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open, and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. So my third and final everyman question for you this morning is simply this. Like Peter, you may have made great boasts and promises to yourself or to others or to God that you haven't kept. Like Peter, you may have failed horribly. You may have really messed things up badly, thoroughly ashamed of your own failure and guilt. But have you, like Peter, found the forgiveness, the acceptance, the restoration that only Jesus the Savior can give? Have you heard his call? Follow me. Because you see, it's never too late. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus restored him three times with three questions. And if Peter denied him five times or ten times, Jesus might have asked him five questions or ten questions. As many as were necessary. You see, that's the point. Because it doesn't matter how often you get it wrong. You can never get it so wrong. You can never sink so low that the love and the mercy of Jesus cannot reach you right there, right where you are and forgive you and restore you and call you to follow him. 
We sing a song sometimes here in this church that says, in your kingdom, broken lives are made new. And I love it because that's my song. That's what he's done for me and for so many of you. He has mended our broken lives and he's still doing it every day that goes by more and more. He's mending our broken lives. And it starts when you bring that broken life to Jesus. When you say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for the mess I've made of it. Please forgive me for my sin. Please give my broken life a new start. Please mend me. And then please help me to follow you. He doesn't want your best. He takes you at your worst, as he did Peter. And then he gives you his best instead. Let's pray together, shall we? I want to pray first of all, if you couldn't answer yes to that question three. If you don't know the forgiveness, the mercy, the acceptance, the restoration of Jesus, if you don't know that, but if you want to, if you want to respond to him this morning, I want to pray for you. Because you see, there's no sin too deep. There's no wandering away too far. He sees the very worst of each one of us. And he says, come, come to me. Let me heal you. Come and follow me. So if that's you, I'd like you just to pray in your own heart along with me now. Lord, I know I have made such a mess of things. I know I've done wrong. I know it's my own fault. And Lord, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I want to come to you now. Lord, if, if you're there, if you can help even me, I just say, Lord Jesus, will you please forgive me? Will you come and help me now? Will you come and mend my broken life? I come to you, Lord Jesus, because I've nowhere else to go. Will you please have mercy on me and help me, a sinful man like me? And then, Lord Jesus, will you help me to follow you the best way I possibly can? If that's you and that's your prayer this morning, I promise you the Lord Jesus hears you. He's here and he hears your heart, whether you're in this room or whether you're online. I just pray, Lord Jesus, will you come now? Wherever that prayer is being prayed, will you come now by your Holy Spirit? And if you're a Christian this morning, you already know the love and the grace of a Savior. Well, we never get past this point, do we? We are sinners who are loved, who are restored by the grace of God that we don't deserve. Lord Jesus, we just say this morning, come and work in us more and more. Thank you, you forgive us every day, every time we get it wrong. You forgive us again and again. Lord, come again. We bring you not our strength, not our cleverness, but just as we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lord Jesus, will you come again this morning? Come again this morning. Remind me of your love. Remind me I'm forgiven, I'm clean. You've made me your son, your daughter. I'm a child of the living God because you've placed your love upon me and you've cleaned me up. Lord Jesus, I just want to follow you today and every day with all I've got because you're so wonderful. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking on one such as me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.